Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. High, high above the North Pole on the first day of 1969, two professors of English literature approached each other at a combined velocity of 1,200 miles per hour. Hmm. Did they collide? You'll have to read the book to find out. Dun, dun, dun. So we are today talking about an interesting subject. Definitely. Something that is beyond the eyes of mere mortals. Unless, of course, you've well put the right software on your computer or you know what you're doing. Yeah, more or less. Okay. Beyond the eyes of people like me, because I'm such a I'm such a surface level kind of guy. We're talking <laughs> about the dark web yeah. or the dark internet mm-hmm. or the deep web or the undernet or the deep net or the invisible web or the hidden web. There are a lot of different names for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, there are two main definitions we need to get out of the way. Yes. Uh, because there people think of different things when the, these terms come up and both both things are real and need to be addressed. Yes. So here's the less interesting one. Okay. At least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There are machines that either were once connected to the internet or were once connected to a network that subsequently was connected to the internet that are no longer reachable on the internet. Okay. Okay. So let's say like there are entire military networks that were part of ARPANET back when ARPANET was a thing. Mm -hmm. And ARPANET, if you guys don't know, was a predecessor to the internet. It was where a lot of the protocols that were developed for the internet first were used. If only somebody wrote an article about that for HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, funny you should mention that. I did write an article about that, how ARPANET works. But yeah, ARPANET... <laughs> it's actually a very interesting story. Yeah, it's it, and that is the, the story of creating a network that can let different machines... Uh, uh, communicate with one another. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, and before networks were mostly composed of machines that were essentially identical to each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And and they were all generally within the same space, like same building. But ARPANET was an attempt to create a network that would allow different machines running on different operating systems in different locations communicate with one another, and it grew substantially. Uh, over the years that it existed, and it started to incorporate other types of networks, including military networks and research organizations. Well, some of those military networks did not keep pace with the changes that were made when uh, the Internet began to emerge. Now, ARPANET and the Internet are not the same thing. Not technically. The Internet is a is a network of networks, of which ARPANET was sort of kind of one, but ARPANET's essentially been offline. That's another example is that stuff that was on ARPANET that's no longer accessible by the Internet. Um, sometimes these machines themselves have failed and they are no longer reachable. So that information is – the at least the original source of that information is lost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You might be able to find bits and pieces of that information on other sites because people have, have cited it or stolen it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the actual original source of that information is gone. You know what occurs to me? What's that? That we should point out too that uh, that that information may not have ever been on the web. Yeah. Um, because as 
as a lot of our listeners know, but maybe not all of them, uh, the the World Wide Web is a part of the Internet. It is not the entire Internet. There is yes. information that is available on a a computer network that can be accessed through different means. Yes. And so uh, calling it the deep web – in that case, in the in the definition that you were just talking about, the sense that that you were just talking about, may not necessarily be completely accurate because it might be found in a different form. Very true. Um, not that I'm saying that you were wrong. No, no, more no, of a no, clarification that is, so that that people understand that. That is a great clarification because yeah, the internet comprises so many different ways sure. of, of sharing information. Email, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one way. File transfer protocol, another way. Yep. Usenet. Uh, Usenet. Gopher. H- and then you have HTTP being the web-based way of yeah. of sharing information. And yeah, when we talk about deep web, some of this information is not necessarily the kind that you would access with a, a normal web browser. Right. Exactly. So that's a good point. You might have to have some sort of emulator or you may have to have a totally different kind of program in order to access that information. And, and that sort of leads into the second sense, I think. Yes. Yes. So, so that first sense is stuff that is no longer accessible either due to machine failures or the fact that it just did not keep pace with the protocols or it was disconnected for a reason yeah there yeah just though it, it is now its own intranet but is no longer connected to the internet right. at any rate mm-hmm. that's stuff that maybe at one time was connected to the internet but now no longer is and therefore you cannot get to it that's why we call it dark that's that one definition now here's the more super cool awesome spy scary definition <laughs> well and and in its purest sense, I would say it's not spy or scary at all. True. Um, you think about the the depth and breadth of the internet as you see it on a search engine. You know, you put in a search term, you get three hundred thousand hits plus yeah. for for a topic, and you go, "Wow, there's a whole lot of information out there." Well, that's only the information that the web browser that the um, search engine knows to go to find. Yeah, we call uh, that the surface web. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's overused as as a metaphor, but the whole iceberg thing really applies here. It yes. is really a very, very small section of what's available on the internet as a whole. Part of it's because that it, that's what's available on the web, and there are other protocols. It's not that uh, Google, for example, is not searching. You know, it's right. not necessarily collecting all the information that's on on uh, Usenet sites and things like that. So you may or may not find the information that's out there. Uh, some people don't want their site indexed, right? And They're, they can choose not to just by putting in a little bit of code at the top of their their uh, their page. It will. It's essentially an instruction saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, web crawlers, skip this site." Yes. Do not index this site. I do not want it indexed. Mm-hmm. And the web crawlers won't. They'll ignore it. They'll move on. And so then you have a website that is not indexed by any search engine. And, and the only way to get there is if there is another incoming link from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so uh, someone's built a website and they've got an outgoing link to this other website that doesn't have any uh, – that is not indexed by websites mm-hmm. or web search engines rather. Or you – physically give out the URL to people. Yeah. Well, and then, then there's uh, stuff that's dynamically generated, such yes. as a search engine's results page, such as, um, let's say you go to your bank and you want to see uh, you know, the, your balance on your account. You log in and you, you know, check the balance on your account. Well, that page that you generate by logging in, checking at you know, 2.14 p.m. and 26 seconds, that page 
is not indexed by anything. So that is a, a dark web, if you will. That's a dark web page that you alone are accessing and no right. one else really has access to. Yes, so, so dark web includes all these databases that have, sure. have terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of data yeah. that, again, will only appear in very specific sets of circumstances and otherwise doesn't. So mm-hmm. therefore, they are not indexed. Yep. Yottabytes even. Mostly just because I wanted to say Yottabytes. Yes, there is such a thing. I'd like to grab some Yottabytes after this podcast. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, in in its purest sense, uh, the the dark web, the invisible web, uh, the invisible net, these are things that that just aren't – they're hard to find. They're not something that you're going to find simply by – uh, you know, surfing around of, yeah. and, or typing in a couple of, of terms in a search engine. Right. It's not right. going to come up. Yeah. So uh, there, there's a whole lot out there. I mean, um, you know, I, I use part of my website as a sandbox uh, just to test different technologies mm-hmm. and, and play around with it so I can learn more about it. And I, you know, I put security access on it because I did, I'm just fooling around. You know, I'm going to type blah, 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 blah. Ooh, look at that. Yeah. I yeah. could change the fonts. I could, you know. And then, I want to see what this under construction gif yeah. looks like on my site. <laughs> well, you know. This looping MIDI is so much more awesome than that looping MIDI. <laughs> wow, this browser totally still supports that marquee tag. This is where Jonathan, it's clear that Jonathan has not built a website since 1994. <sighs> Anyhow... Yes, that is part of that. All is part of the dark web, and and therefore there is nothing particularly sneaky. You have a very funny look. On well, your I was just I was just thinking back to my old. I was thinking back to actual websites I built back in 1994. Uh, That's the problem. All right, sorry. So, but but um, you know, we did have somebody who was asking about this. Yes, and we have not revealed your identity, dark web person. Your we'll secret is safe with us. Deep web, anyway, or her. Let's not narrow it down too much. Him or her. Okay. So uh, the thing is, there is and, – and you think about it and you're going, well, okay, I get it. But that's not really all that interesting. It's not necessarily. But people are using the the inability to find this stuff uh, to their advantage. Yeah. They might be the hiding secret information or – you know, information that might get them in trouble with the law. Or they just don't like the idea of companies, websites, governments being able to track all their movements. There, what, what? Yeah. There are plenty of people they out there. They do know this is the 21st century, right? Yeah. Have they talked to Mark Zuckerberg? Have they? Have they Privacy read, is a thing of the past. Have they read George Orwell? Uh, yeah, was no, 20th century. There you go. It was. And, and look how far we've come. The uh, – <laughs> yeah, the – one of the concerns about using the internet for a lot of people is that a lot of the stuff you do is trackable. There, no. Yeah, there are records of what you do. I mean, this has been in the news recently because Google has changed its privacy policy where it's going to be sharing the information it gathers across multiple Google products in order to shape results for you personally, which means that it's actually actively using your history of, of navigating the web uh, and that freaks a lot of people out. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, speaking of, uh, people want to know the uh, the as of the day we're recording this, that happened yesterday, uh, yeah. March first, and uh, you know people have been making a big deal out of it ever since uh, Google had announced it. And plus, plus they put it on all the sites. There's a little banner at the top saying uh, this stuff matters, which I thought was kind of funny. They and they actually it make way, it but... easy for you to look at what the history yeah. of your web searching is, so that way you can choose to, and you can get rid of it. Yeah, you can choose to delete it if you want. You can keep it. I mean, 
the the purpose of that from Google's perspective is to give you the best service possible. But there are people who have brought up the concerns, and I, I think they are completely legitimate concerns, that the fact that you have this history that's personalized, individualized to a very specific user, uh, that's troublesome because what happens if another entity comes in that isn't concerned about giving you a great experience but is more concerned about finding out exactly what you've been up to for you know a nefarious purpose and uh and that might be that you you could be a perfectly innocent person and still have uh problems arise because there there's this information about your habits when you're out there surfing the web mm-hmm. or using the internet in some way and yeah. so there are people who have used this this part of the web this kind of idea of the uh this this anonymous untrackable sort of web pre- presence to be able to uh, navigate through without leaving a trail. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in some cases, it is to do something that is not necessarily ethically uh, in the green, right? I mean, it's some sure. stuff, some of the stuff is really illegal, unethical, nasty stuff. Yeah, well, uh, it's it's like everything else. You, you've got the technology to do this. Yes. It can be used for good a posi- or bad. Yeah, for, for good or bad. Like, for example, uh, Google basically says when you sign up, hey, look, Jonathan, just between you and us, we're going to collect this information, and as a result of us collecting this information, we're going to be able to tailor this for you. We, we're not going to look at your records. We don't care where you go. This is all going to be stored on a computer, and between you and us, you'll get a really great experience. And Jonathan may say, well, okay, I mean, hey, just between me and you guys – I think we're good. You know, I don't, I don't mind that you're, you're collecting this stuff because I want a, a positive experience. I want to visit a site and my password just to go in there and, and I'm, blam, I'm right there. Yeah. The thing is, what if somebody breaks into the server or what if they're, they're, there's an unethical employee or, or somebody who gets ticked off at the company and says, you know what? I'm going to steal some customers information and make this company's life miserable by giving them bad PR. I mean, it, it could be used for something like that, although mm-hmm. the company may not necessarily be trying to do that. On the flip side of that, uh, people might be saying, you know what? I'm just uncomfortable with you having that information. And the other people might be saying, I'm uncomfortable for you having this information because I don't want to get thrown in jail. Yeah. So, I, you know, there's a, there's a, Positive and a negative for all these things, right? So you've got, you know, you've got people who are using it to do stuff like uh, pirate material. <clears throat> yeah. So if you created a database online and you did not have any uh, pointers to this site, so no web search engines are going to be pulling up this site, and you distribute the information some other way to the people that you want to visit your site, then theoretically you could host stuff. And the the likelihood that you would get caught would be lower, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are people who do this where, you know, you hear about like the big peer-to-peer networks and everything because sure. those are the ones that get a lot of, of focus and they are searchable. Yeah. But then there are other ones that are not searchable. And right. they, there are plenty of them that exist out there. Uh, it's still just as illegal to use them, but they are they are evading detection more effectively. I think – you know the the organizations that are concerned about intellectual property have to make sure that they uh, they get the services of people who are aware of the dark web in order to be able to police that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there it's also used for things like uh, a journalist who might be uh, overseas in a country that is not 
so concerned about offering the press free speech as other countries. Mm -hmm. And that journalist may want to be able to uh, publish reports that are unfavorable to a regime in that country. And using something like uh, the dark web in order to get that information out could protect the journalist or the journalist's sources. So let's say like the journalist is overseas talking to a government official uh, and trying to communicate with this government official who does not approve of the regime's policies. Well, that official could very potentially be at ser- in serious danger for sharing that information. Mm-hmm. Using some sort of untrackable, anonymous uh, software or you- doing this over the web in a way that's not not searchable or trackable mm-hmm. would be very important in that case. And so there are tools that are out there for people to use. And again, just like Chris said, the tools are, are the, neutral. The tools are tools. Yeah, they're just tools. Uh, but there are tools just out there. Just like me. Yeah. <laughs> so like Freenet, that, that's an example. Now, we've talked about Freenet before. Yeah. Um, it was some time ago. I think about a year ago, as a matter of fact, because we were talking about the uh, uh, using – the internet to communicate um, protests mm-hmm. and other information in countries where uh, the government is aggressive about finding and punishing people for um, speaking their mind. Yes, in, in that country. Um, of course, we've uh, over the last couple of years we've had a lot of that in in many countries around the world where people are. Um, Getting the word out about stuff that's going on, people who are being jailed for being dissidents, um, people are trying to find ways to communicate with one another to establish protests. Um, the government is is watching the law. The 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 law enforcement authorities in that area are are watching to see if they can crack down on these protests to keep it from becoming worldwide, to keep it from gathering more support. Um, so they these these folks are trying to find ways to share information without bringing down the authorities on them. And software like Freenet is is one way that they can do that. And in fact, some people were setting up uh, servers over the past couple of years where people could speak their mind and it wouldn't disclose their location. Yeah. Um, which – and a lot of people who were supporters of democracy for these, these uh, uh, governments that were not necessarily so democratic – um, you know, they were saying, "Oh, well, this is a good thing. We're we're giving people an opportunity to speak their mind. That we're giving them freedom of speech where they had none before." Right. Yeah. Another example is uh, the Onion Router or Tor. I've used that myself on my own computer, as a matter of fact. Yeah, you may you may have heard of Tor, and Tor is a part of a project called Anonymity Online, mm-hmm. and it's all about uh, being able to. Uh, to access the internet anonymously where there's not going to be any uh, tracking. Um, you have to pair this with some other software sometimes depending on what it is you're trying to do. But in general, what it's trying, what, what it's, its purpose is is so that you can go through and find out what you need to find without leaving a trace of what you're doing, mm-hmm. uh, which can be really important depending on what it is. Like maybe you're a whistleblower. Maybe you're in a huge company and you've seen something that's truly unethical and you feel it is your responsibility since you know about it to reveal this. But you also know that if you do this, uh, you could have some serious problems in your personal life mm-hmm. further down the line. Well, that's sort of the, the kind of tool you might want to look into if you were to do such a thing, right? So 
the way Tor does it is kind of interesting. They do it through a distributed network. Mm-hmm. So distributed networks, you know, we talked about it. Again, it's kind of similar to peer-to-peer networks. Well, in, in, in a way, it's it's a lot of uh, – it, it has some similarity to the people who are um, conducting hacker attacks. Yeah. Because uh, as we – again, another thing that we've talked about on, on occasion is how um, it can be difficult to trace exactly where an attack comes from. Or it can be uh, possible to spoof another address. Say, you know, make it appear as though an attack is coming from uh, a country to go, you know, hey – they're the ones doing it. Yeah, China's attacking us. And then if you were to really look at it, you might realize that uh, the attackers came from a totally different country, but they yep. had spoofed it. Or they had created a zombie army where they had infected computers within China. So mm-hmm. the attacks were coming from China. It's just they were being masterminded from computers that were in a totally different country. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a tricky thing about computers is that uh, it's it's entirely possible for you to be able to cover your tracks or to... Uh, obfuscate where you are working from and make it appear that someone else, some patsy, is uh, really the one in charge of the actual uh, attack. Mm-hmm. Well, Tor works w- works in a similar fashion to that. Basically, it uses this array of servers to mask your location. Right. So, um, so the way the way it works normally with internet traffic is that if I'm sending if I'm sending a request to a uh, server for me to get, let's just say, a web page back. Mm-hmm. Then that request is going to go out in packets across the internet uh, with a header and a footer that gives the information about where it's going. And uh, then once it gets to where it is, it's, the, the request gets received, the server responds, sends it back my way, not necessarily in the same pathway that my request went. Uh, and then it gets to my machine. My machine puts it all together, and then I can look at the web page. Mm-hmm. With Tor, uh, each jump from one uh, server to one machine to another is is unique and it's it's unique to that like the the information is unique to that jump so that uh, when I send my request out it goes to a server on the tor network mm-hmm. now the server on the tor network doesn't know that it needs to go to this specific destination it just knows that it has to send this request to a second server that, uh, it's that's in the tor network Mm-hmm. So that request goes to that server within the Tor network. Now that that server doesn't know where the request originated from. It knows that it got it from server number one, but it doesn't know who sent the request to server number one, mm-hmm. right? So server number two is like, all right, well, server number one sent this to me. I'm supposed to send it to server number three. It goes to server number three. Server number three doesn't know about server number one. It just knows that a request came from server number two. It definitely doesn't know about you who sent the request in the first place. And it does this all the way across the network until it gets to where it's supposed to be. And then it comes back in that same pathway. And there's no way for any individual machine to know what the uh, origin point or destination point was, except for the ones that were immediately adjacent to those points. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it protects your identity because you can't track where this this traffic's going. There's no way to to figure it out because – these machines are it's if you were the only one using this network sure then they'd be able to tell but with all the information passing across it's impossible to say uh, who sent what when and where this information was going and what was inside it mm-hmm. now tor requires that you uh, uh install some uh software on your computer which uh, basically you know uses your browser you could turn it on and off um which is nice in a way uh, i did test it just to play around with a couple of years ago, um, because I thought it was kind of interesting and, and, uh, you know, how it, how it masks your identity. So, uh, I found, I found out two things. One, uh, you know, I, I tried it and then I 
went to see where it said I was coming from. You know, I did a, a I traced the route and it said I was in Sweden, which is really great, except it made me hungry for a lingonberries. And then uh, the next thing I was thinking meatballs. Yeah, I knew. Well, that's, you know, cliche. Um, and then uh, the other thing is it uh, because it is traveling so much farther. Now, remember, we've talked about um, you make a request of the uh, over the Internet. The information goes from one computer to the other computer to the other computer until it gets to the other location, and then it sends it, you know, back, 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 back until it reaches your machine. Yeah. When you go through the tour, it does that through a whole lot more computers, and it yeah. slows everything down. So right. if you want to be private uh, for whatever reason, you can use this software, but uh, it will slow things down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just be aware. That's true. That's pretty much true right. with every security system, too. Any th- oh, sure. Anytime you have some sure. encryption or whatever, it's going to affect the speed of the transmission. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the trade-offs you have for for increased security. And Tor goes beyond just uh, web browsing. You know, I use that as my example, but it's also used for things like uh, instant messaging or remote logins. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can even create an instance where you're you're creating a, a rendezvous point, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say that you want to create a uh, uh, discussion area for some political. Uh, uh, Reason, like let, let's say you're in a in a, a, a potentially dangerous situation uh, overseas, you know, in some in some country where the the regime is is cracking down on internet access and mm-hmm. internet uh, communications. Um, you might want to be able to set up a space where you and two or three or more people can have a discussion about something, but not have it pop up in a very popular or uh, publicly visible way, like on Twitter or Facebook. Mm-hmm. Because even though those tools have been really useful, uh, it's also true that if you use them a lot, then there's the chance that it could either get shut down or that authorities could track you or that authorities could infiltrate uh, your your communications. So if you're using something that's below the radar, that that's not being broadcast publicly, uh, you have a better chance of maintaining that security. Mm-hmm. Well, Tor would let you do things like set up a um, essentially what would be like a chat room or a forum among a bunch of people uh, that is not visible to anyone else. And it does it through this distributed network way where you – the person who creates the the instance lets people know, hey, I'm, I'm building this thing on blah, blah, blah. When they respond, that's un- – until someone responds, there's no rendezvous point. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually create anything. And when that person responds, then one computer, one server on this system is designated as the the place where that will live for as long as it needs to. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the uh, the different computers will have to travel via the normal Tor method to that particular server in order to interact with it. Uh, but this, again, maintains that level of anonymity that is necessary for situations where you're talking about life and limb you know, scenarios. Yep. So uh, it's interesting stuff. And like we said, you know, their military has been using this. Actually, in fact, Tor, the onion router, was a product of the United States Naval uh, uh, branch of the military. It was it was a Navy project that ends up now being used by lots of different um, people, including civilians. But, yeah, businesses use it. Uh, um, law enforcement uses it. It's it's been very uh, instrumental in lots of different uh, uh, uses other than the one that everyone thinks about, which is 
to do something sneaky and criminal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, the only thing that's come out of my navel is lint. So that's that's really impressive. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what you're going to give up for Lent. Well, um, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, but the, the thing is to note, um, this stuff is on the internet and that's actually its biggest flaw. Um, when you go back to the original sense, uh, that Jonathan mentioned earlier, when stuff is just disconnected from the internet, that's the easiest way to protect information on the dark web. Um, once you make it connected to that giant network of networks that we've come become accustomed to using, um, that makes it more findable. It is not a lot of stuff is not completely unfindable. So, for example, let's say you have your robots.txt file and you say, "I don't want my page to be indexed." That doesn't mean it's not there and it can't be accessed by people, but it might mean that Google and uh, Bing and and the other search engines just say, "Oh, okay, well, hey, I." Okay, we'll leave you alone. You don't have to uh, be in our directory, but that doesn't mean it can't be found. Right? Um, you know, nothing. You, nothing stopping. Let's say a, a, an incredibly popular website could post a link, and that would do it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's uh, it, it would be another step to get to where you needed to go, but it would make that dark website. Um, very easy to access. Well, okay, well, okay. So, uh, John and I, Jonathan and I have, have created a file, a secret file sharing thing, and we're going to let's just make it interesting by making it nefarious. So, we're going to uh, okay. share all these, you know, uh, video files and all sorts of other stuff. But the thing so is, we're, we're sharing all the good Star Wars movies, so four, five, and six, and all the good Star Trek <laughs> movies, so every other one. <laughs> so uh, the thing is, Jonathan set up this site. And he's emailed me. So, Many Bothans died to bring us this site. <laughs> so the Bothans send me the email. Yeah. And okay, so it's between you and me, right? Right. Nobody else knows about it, right? Except there's a trace of that email on every server that it touched between you and me. Yes. Plus, you know, we have ISPs, and they're sh- they have that information somewhere on file. No, they're not going to go looking through all. They don't have time to look through all that. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's Look, no way. There's just so much data. But it's there. Yes. So if someone else hears about this, like if I become Mr. Flappy Gums <laughs> and I walk outside and I'm like, you should look into that gingivitis. Uh, yeah, I probably should. And I and I say, man, Chris and I, we shared episode four Star Wars: New Hope 18 times between the two of us for no apparent reason. Um, and I'm just chatting away. Well, then there's a chance someone goes to someone else that goes to someone else that goes to someone else. And next thing you know, you've got authorities looking into it and they say, all right, well, if we can't find this site directly, what other routes can we look at in order mm-hmm. to build a case against these two idiots and, and, and find out whether or not they're really, uh, breaking the law? And if so, how hard we can punish them? And the answer to that, by the way, is very, very hard. Yeah, the chances are that the uh, user agreement that Jonathan and I have between our internet service providers says that uh, they're not going to give up our information unless the law enforcement authorities come knocking at their door with a warrant saying, hey, we believe that these guys are up to no good. Uh, cough over the records. And in, in which case they're going to say, OK, well, if you've got a legitimate reason to worry about it, here you go. This is why the various pieces of legislation – Around the world, really, but in the United States are the ones that we're mostly familiar with. Things like DMCA, SOPA, yeah. uh, and, and PIPA. Uh, why these were such a huge deal? Because it was one of those things that people were worried the government would get too much authority to be able to snoop in on what you were doing. And 
whether whether you were doing something wrong or not wasn't the point. It was the fact that it was uh, almost like an unreasonable search and seizure kind of approach to information. Like it wasn't wasn't necessarily your personal property in the sense of physical things you owned, but it was your information, which is more and more becoming something like property to people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, and also there the the whole Sopa and Pippa thing was for a while uh, also a, a concern for people who use Tor, sure, and that it looked like services like Tor could be at threat. Because of some of the the various kinds of laws that are being proposed around the world, ACTA is another great example. Mm-hmm. And that's one that's global. It's not the United States, uh, just the United States anyway. And uh, there there's a lot of concern that this kind of legislation is specifically taking aim at services that have legitimate, legal, and one could argue uh, uh, pro humanity um, reasons to use them, and yet it would those would get wiped off just as easily as. The piracy stuff. And so the question that a lot of people have is, is the damage that's being done by piracy, which, by the way, is completely impossible to define. We cannot define how much damage piracy does. Yeah. it's it, We just can't. Right. It does do damage. Don't get me wrong. We just can't define how much it is. But is that indefinable amount of damage greater than the good that a an anonymous web gives us? Mm-hmm. And if it is greater, then maybe we have to look at wiping it all out. Uh, personally, this is just my own personal opinion, not representative of anyone else. Uh, I seriously doubt that. but Because <laughs> I look around at the world and how the world is changing, like the events of the Arab Spring, and I think if it weren't for the fact that we have these outlets, then the, these social changes, which in – Many cases look like they are long overdue, may still not have happened. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that would be unfortunate for people who are living under oppressive regimes who, uh, just don't have any opportunities like, like a lot of the rest of the world does. So mm-hmm. now that's my, again, my own personal opinion. Jonathan's getting off his soapbox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so in short, um, you know the the deep web the the uh, invisible internet this is this is just information that um that the average person is not going to be able to find easily um it could be anything from people planning a hate crime or an act of terrorism to uh people planning their next big venture and they just don't want it to become public before they can make a sensation and 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 ruin Facebook's day by coming out with something even better to to like 50 hard drives that are holding Databases of information that are not relevant unless you put in a specific query. Sure. You would not want that searchable on the Internet because it would be totally useless. Yes, yes. So, I mean, it's it's a simple definition, but, it, you know, there's a lot of to, a lot to it. And when you start thinking about it, it, um, it it's, there are some ethical questions involved. Yeah. But your iceberg That's comparison fat. at the top of the show was very apt because, again, the stuff that we see on the web is a fraction of what is out there. It's, from what I understand, it is a fraction of 1% of the information that can be accessed over the Internet. Yeah. Um, which, when you think about the the billions and trillions of web pages out there, yeah. uh, many of which have MIDI files embedded in them and scrolling under text from the under construction guy, yeah. um, you know, that that's – Amazing to think about because there's a vast amount of information that is accessible to us. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty um, phenomenal. But uh, you know, and and that's one just one of those things that that when you think about it, you step back and you and you think about this vast amount of information, and you just go, wow, that's 
really when you think it's amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. It's yeah. Who would have thought that we have come up with that much stuff? Yep. And I have to write about all of it. <laughs> well, some of it. Speaking of which, I need to get back to that. So let's wrap up this discussion. Guys, if you have any suggestions for future topics that we should tackle, you should email us. Our address is techstuffatdiscovery.com or send us a message via Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House to Fork's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?